take your Bible, if you would, and make your way to Psalm 132. Psalm 132 will be our text tonight as we are in still our series from the Songs of Degrees. And we are entering now into our last part, the fifth part of these Psalms. Uh, We have Psalm 132, Psalm 133, and Psalm 134 to go. I've already preached Psalm 134 months ago, which led us into the um, series, but I do believe I will revisit it as we have a conclusion to these songs. We have entitled our series on Wednesday night, An Old Testament Playlist, and I thought this was a very fitting uh, series title as to how you and I in today's world understand what a playlist is. We have a playlist, uh, multiple playlists that are on our devices. These are usually a collection of songs that mean something to us, inspire us, encourage us, lift us. We have them according to sometimes the days, according to our moods, uh, times of celebration. And you have them in your car, you have them on your phone, you have them wherever you go. And so what the physical music does to us I wanted the spiritual songs of these psalms to encourage you. I wanted you to know that they were there. I wanted you to know that there was a threefold theme that went through these. You see those three words that begin with T, trouble, trust, and triumph. And so when you find yourself in trouble, when you find yourself at a moment where all you can do is trust the Lord, which is a great thing to do, And when you find yourselves in the moments of triumph and worship, that you'll think about these passages of Scripture, that you will read them, you will read them as a collection, and that they will be a blessing to you. And so I hope and pray that you will never read the book of Psalms again without coming to the songs of degrees and remembering what God has taught us there. Our psalm tonight is Psalm 132, uh, and I would like to read the psalm to you. And then I'd like to preach it to you and preach you a message entitled, Promise Praying. Verse number one, please. Lord, remember David and all his afflictions, how he sware unto the Lord and vowed unto the mighty God of Jacob. This is what he vowed. Surely I will not come into the tabernacle of my house nor go up into my bed. I will not give sleep to mine eyes or slumber to mine eyelids until I find out a place for the Lord, a habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. Now, those of you that are Bible students, you know at the end of David's life, he was burdened and driven and passionate about building a house for God to dwell in. There was a tabernacle in which they would worship in, and there was a tabernacle in which the, uh, the table of uh, showbread and the Ark of the Covenant would be in, and they had a history of that, but there was no permanent dwelling for the Lord. Not that the Lord could, in effect, dwell in a house, of course, in limitation there, but no place for the Ark to rest. You know that even though this desire was heavy upon the heart of David... That God did not let David build him a house. God had his son build him a house. David was a man of blood and a warrior. And the house of God was a place of peace. And so he had Solomon 
to build his house. You're reading about the burden of David here. Verse number 6. Lo, we heard of it at Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of the wood. We will go into his tabernacles. We will worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, into thy rest, thou and the ark of thy strength. Let thy priest be clothed with righteousness, and let thy saints shout for joy. For thy servant David's sake, turn not away the face of thine anointed. The Lord takes over in verse number 11 as we continue. The Lord hath sworn in truth unto David, he will not turn from it. Of the fruit of the body will I set upon thy throne. If thy children will keep my covenant and my testimony that I shall teach them, their children also shall sit upon thy throne forevermore. For the Lord hath chosen Zion. He hath desired it for his habitation. This is my rest forever. Here will I dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. I will also clothe her priest with salvation. Her saints shall shout aloud for joy. There will I make the horn of David to bud. I have ordained a lamp for mine anointed. His enemies will I clothe with shame, but upon himself shall his crown flourish. Pastor, a lot of words there that I do not understand. Help me navigate Psalm 132. Let me give you some words of introduction here that I think will help you. First thing you need to remember is our theme, right? You have a repeating theme in all five of these sections. Trouble, trust, triumph. This psalm was written in the midst of trouble. We do not know who wrote the psalm. We know that David did not write the psalm. We know that David, for the first ten verses, is the theme or the illustration or the memory of the psalm. We're not sure on what occasion this psalm was written in or for, but we do know this. It was written at a moment where if you weren't careful, you would think that God was a liar. Now, you and I, we would believe believe what Paul wrote to Titus, that the God that lives in our hearts cannot lie. But sometimes, the circumstances of life and the little voice of the enemy can even make the strongest Christian kind of think, God? Did you tell me the truth? If you do not tell the truth, the only opposite of that is you told a lie. Now, God's people would never 
with their mouth call God a liar. But sometimes in our behavior, our actions speak louder than words. We do know that the psalm was probably written when there was the fear that the Davidic line would cease. We, we do know that some, some believe that it could have been Hezekiah writing this, telling God to remember David. We know that Hezekiah could not have a son. You know, he was barren. He wanted to have a son. He pleaded with God. Hezekiah was the last godly king in the line of Judah. And he knew the promise of God. Some Bible scholars think that this is Hezekiah reminding God of his promises. I can't say that for sure. Maybe this was a time when, uh, when, when, when after Jeconiah had lost it and the kingdom had ceased there. We're not exactly sure, but we know that the intent of the writer was this. God, you promised. It doesn't look like you're keeping your promise, but we're going to trust you anyway. That's why the title tonight is Promise Praying. This is a psalm that was sung as a prayer based on the promise that God had made. This was, whoever wrote this was not asking God to bless them because of themselves. It was asking God to bless them because of the promise he made to one who was greater. That would be David. By the way, you and I are blessed based on the promises of one who is greater. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? The first ten verses of this chapter, whoever wrote this thing is reminding God of David's promise to God that he was going to build him a house. The last eight verses, verses 11 to 18, these are really God speaking for himself and he's made promises to David that he would build him a house or a legacy that an heir from David would sit eternally on the throne of his father, David. And so there's a moment here where Whoever is penning this sees trouble. The trouble has brought them to the moment where the circumstances say, God, you you made us a promise, but I don't see how in the world this thing is ever going to happen. Lord, we're counting on your promise. And so whoever wrote this knew enough to know that God cannot lie. They knew enough to know that God never breaks a promise. We had a movement that went through our nation back in the 80s called the Promise Keepers. I think it had a lot of good intention. It just had a horrible name. Nowhere in this Bible will God ever ask you to make him a promise. Why? 
Because God knows that you and I cannot keep his, our promises. But all throughout this Bible are promises that God has made to you and me, and he's never broken one of them. Okay? Now stay with me, because I'm driving somewhere, and when we get there, you're going to say, that was awesome. Let's practice that. Just kidding. Just kidding. Right? All right. So put yourself in the mind of this author under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. Now remember the song of degrees, right? Somebody would write them. Later, the singers put them in a collection. So you had the immediate moment of the psalm being written. Later, it was put inside the collection. And the same way you number your CDs, or you used to number your CDs in that collection, they would put them in the trouble part, they would put them in the trust part, and they would put them in the triumph part. And they would break them out as they would ascend into Jerusalem, singing about the moments of trouble, the moments that they trusted God, and the moments of triumph. So this psalm was written at a moment where it didn't look like God was going to keep his promise, where it looked like they were in trouble. So as this is written, later it was pulled into the collection so that when you and I go through a problem and it looks like God might be a liar, we can be reminded that he does not lie, he does not break his promise, and therefore he should have our full trust. So what the psalmist does is he turns God's wording and uses it against the Lord. Now I use the word against not in a hard way but in a good way. And he does something that every believer needs to know how to do. Promise pray. And that promise prayer is not dear God I promise never to sin again. That promise prayer is dear God you made promises on behalf of your son the Lord Jesus and I believe that every promise you make is yea and I'm trusting your promises. And in turn I pray back to God what he promised me as his will. And then I see that prayer answered in my life. You better learn for your survival as a believer how to promise pray. Go to verse number 1 all the way through verse number 10. Let me show you what the psalmist picks out here. Lord, remember David. Remember David and all his afflictions. How he swore unto the Lord and vowed unto the mighty God of Jacob. So the first thing the psalmist is reminding the Lord is, listen, you know that this was a desire that David had. You know that he had an anxiety about this to have a, a house for the Lord. You know that he gave his heart to this. You know this was near and dear. And you know that while he was trying to build you a house, he suffered affliction horribly. You understand that there were problems that came in there, there were trials that came in there, and yet nothing deterred him from doing what you called him to do. Verses 3 through 5 deal with his concentration. Look, if you would. David said, I will not come into the tabernacle of my house, nor go up into my bed. I will not give sleep to mine eyes or slumber to mine eyelids until... I find out a place for the Lord, a habitation or a dwelling place for the mighty God of Jacob. So the psalmist here is, is making requests 
to the God, to God based on promises that God made to David. And before he gets there, he's, he's asking the Lord, now Lord, remember David. Remember in his affliction how he served you. Remember how you were the supreme concentration of his life. Nothing was more important than serving you. He wouldn't even go into his house. He wouldn't even rest. He wouldn't give sleep to his eyes. He was consumed as a priority in what you thought in serving you. God help us that God's people would be that way today. So many Christians today go sleep in their house and think nothing about serving the Lord. His concentration became an inspiration. Look, if you would, at verses 6, 7. Lo, we heard of it. We heard of what? This habitation that he was building. We heard about all of this, uh, uh, this devotion that he had at Ephrata. We found it, speaking of the Ark of the Covenant, in the fields of the wood. We will go into his tabernacle. We will worship at his footstool. And so the psalmist says to God, now listen, you remember how David was afflicted in what he was doing. You remember how concentrated he was in what he was doing. You remember how inspiring he was to us. By the way, let me go back and revisit Roxanne's request. Every Christian ought to be an inspiration to those around them. Who did you inspire today? Who heard of you at Ephrata today? Who cares about the Lord Jesus today because of your word, your presence, your personality, your kindness, your joy, your hard work, your extra mile, something that you did for the cause of Christ? David was an inspiration. His devotion, arise, O Lord, into thy rest, thou in the ark of thy strength. Let thy priests be clothed with righteousness. Let thy saints shout for joy. This was the verbiage that Solomon gave as they were dedicating the temple. So devoted was David for for righteousness to lead the way in everything. And then the psalmist comes to verse number 10. And he says, I want to remind you, God, of uh, of the expectation that David has. For thy servant David's sake... Turn not away the face of thine anointed. Now, whether that would be for David himself, or whether that was a king of David's, or whether that was in the uh, that followed him, whatever that was, the psalmist wanted to make sure that he reminded God of promises that he made to David. Now, let me ask you a question: Does God ever need reminded of His word? No. So why in the world would we remind him? Because our reminder of him is the evidence that we believe and trust him. God, we're reminding you that you promised this, that you said this. I'm reminding you this because that's what I'm trusting. I'm not trusting anything else or anyone else. I'm trusting the promise that you made right here. And by the way, anytime you trust a man's promise, you're trusting the man. The reason you don't trust somebody's word is because you don't trust them. But the reason you can trust God's word is because our God is trustworthy and he's trustworthy all the time. So so the psalmist in the first 10 verses is just asking the Lord to remember. He's reminding the Lord all that David had done for him, all that God had promised for David. And he's reminding the Lord that you will not turn away your face of thine anointed. 
The Lord likes this, for in verse number 11, he picks it up. The Lord hath sworn in truth unto David, he will not turn from it. Boy, I hope you have that part of your Bible underlined. The Lord hath sworn, the only way he knows how to make a promise, in truth unto David, and he will not turn from it. Now understand his promise. The promise was to David in verse number 11. Of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. Okay? So their promise was that out of David's loin there would be a king that would sit on his throne forever. Now when this is being written, the reality of that looks bleak. The reality of that is so so debatable and so so careful that the psalmist goes and reminds God of his promise that you made this promise if thy children will keep my covenant and my testimony that I shall teach them their children shall also sit upon thy throne forevermore that was the promise that God had given to David now David's physical children as far as those that were born from his loins um, were disobedient here, but God still kept his promises and his faithfulness. When we're unfaithful, he's still faithful. But there will be an, a, 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 a um, legacy that was come from David that will keep all of that, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So God had made promises to David. He had sworn this truth into David. He will not turn from it, that there would be somebody on his throne. If you figure it out through it, the Lord had chosen Zion. He had made a promise that it would be his rest forever. In verse number 15, he had abundantly blessed with provision. He would satisfy her poor with bread. He would clothe their priests with salvation. He would, saints would shout for joy. They would make a horn of David or the government of David to bud or to range. And he would ordain a lamp for mine anointed. His enemies will I clothe with shame, but upon himself shall his crown flourish. A lot of words there that God would choose, that God would bless, and God would take care. Much of the end of chapter 132 has a millennial reign to it. Not only did it have a physical part there for David, but a millennial reign as well. Understanding where we are, let me give you some things to write down as a lesson that you need to take out of here. And I've got five minutes to do it. Pastor, how do I apply Psalm 132 to my life? Write these things down if you would. The first thing that you write down is this. God always keeps his promises. Number two. God's promises will always require my faith. God's promises will always require my faith. Let me put a parenthesis here. When you're unfaithful, God is still faithful. So God had made David these promises... And God is keeping that promise. And it, it will unfold in the millennial kingdom when it comes to the Lord Jesus. There will be him sitting on there. But 
the promise that God made to David was a promise that would bless his immediate legacy and his immediate family and that line of his Davidic line as it went through there. But they've come to a moment here, probably because of disobedience, probably because of unbelief, because of failure, where there was reason to think, is this going to really happen? Now, sometimes Christian people think that they somehow can do something, whether it's a sin that they did or a lack of, unbel- or a lack of belief, a position of unbelief, something that somehow can thwart the promise that God has made to them. Hold your hand here and go to Psalm 89, please. I want to read this. You need to hear this. Just back a little bit. Psalm 89. God visits this in Psalm 89, and they write it down. Speaking of uh, here, look at verse number 30. If his children forsake my law and walk not in my judgments... If they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, then will I visit their transgressions with the rod and their iniquities with stripes. Now, I got a spanking from my dad, and I've had spankings from the Lord, and I don't like either one of them. Verse 33. Nevertheless, my, what's that word, class? Loving kindness will I not utterly take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to what? Fail. My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Once have I sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever as the moon and as a faithful witness in heaven. What did God write and pen there? Praise the Lord. God's promise to us don't rely on our faithfulness. They rely on his faithfulness. And sometimes God's people get, get this messed up here where, where we, we get to a position where we forgot that what God says in yea is yea, what God says is nay is nay. God makes a promise. God will not break that promise. Now, sometimes there's the falling of sin in our lives and there's the chastening of God in our lives. But where there's confession, there is forgiveness. And just because I sin at one point, and I, and I, but if I find confession and forgiveness, that doesn't thwart the promise of God. God keeps his promises to us. Faith will always be required in these promises. And so even when you don't think that God is keeping his promise to you, he is. When circumstances tell you differently, he is. One thing the enemy will get you to try to do is to release your faith and get into a position of unbelief with the Lord. God has made us promises in his word. Those promises are based upon his son, the Lord Jesus, what he has done in and through us. And the way that this, this writer is reminding God of the promises he made to David a greater that would bless them. God has made promises in the name of Jesus Christ that bless us. And he won't break those promises. So God keeps his promises. Number two, 
The promises of God will always require my faith. Now write this down. Number three. The evidence that I believe God is that I pray. The evidence of faith is prayer. You see, my prayer resting on the promise of God is evidence that I believe God. Number four, learn to pray God's promises to you. So God has made thousands of promises to his children. Here's my last point, and I'll conclude it all and wrap it up in a nice little bow. If I'm going to pray God's promises to me, back to him, then I need to know what God's promises are to me from his word. So let me revisit this thought process again, right? So think just a second. We're almost done. You've got a man writing a, a prayer who, who probably if he lived today would be like most Christians and think that sometimes God doesn't always tell the truth or somehow God can lie. I promise you God cannot lie. And so we let circumstances be the truth teller instead of the word of God. So this guy understands that God had made promises to David because of his obedience that would pass down and bless them. And so he goes through David as a greater to touch the heart of God. Well, you and I, we don't go through David. We go through a greater than David, and his name is Jesus Christ. So so in Christ, we have blessings. Through Christ, we have promises. God has made them to us. And when we're in trouble is when we need to remember that God keeps his promises. Now, the reason I can sometimes be in trouble is because of my own sin, or sometimes I can be in trouble because God's placed me in a trial. But either way, God keeps his promise. And so as God is, I understand God keeping his promise, the evidence of that that, 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 that will be required, what will be required to appropriate that is faith. Faith will always be required that I'm going to believe that God keeps his word. The evidence that I have faith is that I pray God's word back to him. God, you said, sir, father, with all reverence, that you would do this in my life. God, I can't do this in my life. Pastor can't do this in my life. My spouse can't do this in my life. And to be honest with you, God, I don't even see how in the world you can do this. But I know this, you're a miracle-working God. And the only thing I have to stand on is what you said. So the psalmist said, for thy servant David's sake, you can't turn your face on us because you gave us your word. There is some things that God cannot do. 
And one of them is, he cannot break his word. So as a believer, when I'm in trouble, I better know the promise that God has for me in that situation. And I don't go to God on behalf of me. Man, God, I'm this and that and this. No, no, no. I go to God and say, God, you made promises to me through your son, the Lord Jesus. You made promises to me through your word. Lord, I don't see any way out of here. But I know this, you won't break your word. And so you said about my situation, this. So I'm trusting this promise. Here's the problem. Let's just do a little experiment real quick. You're here tonight. Do you have a problem that you're dealing with? I'll give you a chance just to think about your problem, your heartache. Um, You raised your hand and you said pray for this, right? So either it's a request, maybe it was an unspoken, maybe it's a problem that you have at work. Think about your problem, your burden. Now think about this. Can any verse come to your mind that would give you hope to stand on specifically for your problem? See, we pray so generically because specific prayer takes a lot of specific work. To find out what God has said about my life and my situation and the promise. And God loves to hear his word prayed back to him. Not because he needs to be reminded of his word. But it is evidence that we are believing and trusting his word. And you will find as you learn to promise, pray. That God begins to move in a powerful and wonderful way. He never breaks His word. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. Practice this. Take this Wednesday night Bible study, and if you take nothing else out of here, tomorrow or the next day, your prayers begin to be filled with God's word. Lord, this is the promise. You said you would supply all my need. Lord, you said you would be with me. You would never leave me nor forsake me. You said that nothing would ever separate your love from me. Whatever you will find that you will need in your life, it's in this book sufficient. And as we pray back to him, his word, you'll find a wonderful, wonderful blessing. Let me ask you a question. Will there be from the loin of David a king to sit on his throne forever? Yeah. His name is Jesus Christ. God always keeps his promises. Shall we pray? Pardon? Oh, that was awesome. Nadia, thank you. You get to go to heaven without being redeemed. Father, it's real. We don't know the name of the man that wrote the psalm, but we know the God who inspired it. You wrote in the Holy, the Holy Spirit, let Psalm 132 be written in the midst of trouble. Lord, 
remember David. In essence, Lord, remember your promises. Now the nation wasn't faithful. They they weren't deserving. I'm so glad that your promises don't rely on our faithfulness. They rely on your faithfulness. That doesn't mean I can be disobedient or sinful and stand there and pray the promise of God. But so many times we're weak, we're fearful. So many times we fall down. The Bible says a righteous man falls seven times, a just man, but he gets up seven times. Satan will tell us, mm, that's, you, you, you've burnt that bridge. With the blood of Jesus Christ, there's no bridge burning. There's just a renewal and a forgiveness and a way made forward in the Lord. And God's people need to take a lesson from the psalmist. We need to learn how to promise pray, standing on your word, even when it looks bleak, even when if we were to put it in such a heinous way, when it could almost look like you didn't tell us the truth, we need to be reminded, you cannot lie. The devil is nothing but a liar, but our God is truth. And you'll never break your word. I'm holding on to that for all eternity because I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So many others. I pray that we'll take this lesson, we'll take that simple truth, and it will revolutionize how we pray and see you work mightily in our life. We love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your promise. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, our song, our hymn to go out of here, I think will be fitting. It's one verse. God will take care of you. Stand if you would. See you back on Sunday as we're back in 2 Peter. Be not dismayed, whatever betide. God will take care of you. Beneath these wings of love abide. God will take care of you. God will take care of you through every day or all the way. He will take care of you. God will take care of you. Good night. God bless you. You are dismissed.